This morning, as we focus on the ascension of Jesus Christ, we're going to be reading from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. The account of Jesus' ascension into heaven comes in the book of Acts, chapter 1. I'll be referring to Acts 1, but the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us of the significance of Jesus' ascension into heaven in this passage from Ephesians 1. Let's ask the Lord to bless the reading and hearing of his word. Gracious Father, we give you thanks that you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to be our great King. We thank you, O Lord, that at your right hand he rules and reigns for us, and therefore in his name we would ask you to send forth the Holy Spirit upon us afresh to enlighten the eyes of our hearts, to help us to know what is the hope of our calling, to help us to comprehend the immeasurable greatness of your power and therefore that we would commit ourselves all the more fully and more faithfully to live for King Jesus, to the glory of his name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, that is found on page 976 of your black pew Bible. I invite you to open your Bible or one of the pew Bibles for the reading of God's word. Paul writes, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand, in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood. To Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, and glory. Amen. Luke tells us that at the end of a 40-day period following Jesus' resurrection from the dead, he was with the apostles on Mount Olivet outside Jerusalem. And after speaking to them, he was lifted up in a cloud took him out of their sight. That's Acts chapter 1. And Luke tells us further in chapter 1 that while the apostles were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men in white robes stood there and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go 
into heaven. So that is the historical account of Jesus' bodily ascension into heaven. His glorified body was received into heaven. Now, the apostles, being first century Jews, would not have interpreted the ascension of Jesus as a kind of bizarre event defying the laws of of nature. They, They would have understood that what was going on before them, what they were seeing with their eyes, was in fact a revelation of Jesus' spiritual exaltation. Jesus' being received into glory and being exalted to the right hand of the Father. So that, for example, the Scripture says that a cloud received Him, hid Him from their sight. Well, yes, if you had been there, you would have seen the cloud. You would have seen Jesus mysteriously being exalted, going into the cloud. But the point here is that that wasn't just a cloud, an accumulation of water molecules that just happened to be floating by at the time. No, this cloud, we would have understood, you would have understood that to be the glory cloud of God's presence. You remember in the Old Testament, the cloud of God's presence protected the Israelites as they made their way out of Egypt. Pillar of fire by night, cloud by day. That was God's presence with them. It was the cloud of glory that descended on Mount Sinai when Moses received the Ten Commandments. It was the the symbolic signification of God's very presence. The cloud of God's glory filled the temple in Jerusalem after its construction was completed and, and the Ark of the Covenant was brought in. The cloud of glory, God's presence, descended upon the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was there with Peter and James and John. And so the point here about Jesus' ascension into heaven and His being received up and hidden by a cloud This is, the the historical event points to the spiritual reality. It's telling us that Jesus has been exalted above all powers of heaven and earth. He is, and and Jesus is being ascended into heaven doesn't mean that he's just somewhere way, way, way up there, up through the atmosphere, up through the stratosphere. No, that's not the point. He's been received into the spiritual dimension of heaven. He's been enthroned at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Now, the day of ascension is the 40th day after Easter, and this year it falls on May 17th. And so on this Sunday, we are focusing our attention on Jesus' ascension into heaven and what it means. So the hymns that we sing this morning, we've already sung, Crown Him with Many Crowns, The Lamb Upon His Throne. We're focusing upon the reality, the spiritual truth, that Jesus Christ is on the throne at the right hand of God the Father. And we sang, after the assurance of pardon, after our confession of sins, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love,
whoever lives and pleads for me. Those words, which are words expressing the precious promise of the gospel, are based on the ascension of Jesus Christ, the one who offered himself up for our sins, gave himself up to death for us, is now the one who stands at the Father's right hand, our great high priest, with the offering of his own blood to cleanse us from all our sins, to assure us of the forgiveness of our sins when we look to him in faith. These promises are based upon Jesus' ascension into heaven. We read from Psalm 47 for our call to worship. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. God has gone up with a shout. The image is of God going up, ascending the throne to reign over all the earth, over all nations. In the call to confession this morning, we read from Hebrews 4, which assures us that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, who has been in every way tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so we may with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. How is it that we draw near to the throne of grace? How can we be sure that God will receive us? How can we be sure that He will hear our prayers? How, will he, how can we be sure that He really will forgive us of our sins, even that sin? How can we be sure? Not because of anything in ourselves, but because Jesus is there for us. Jesus, the one who died for us, is there for us, representing us before the Father with His blood shed for us. That's how we can be sure, because Jesus is there on our behalf. It's all based upon, rooted in, Jesus' ascension into heaven. Now, by the way, Pay close attention to the words of our closing hymn this morning. You may not be very familiar with it, but if you meditate on the words, this hymn will enrich your soul. It is a great affirmation of the fact that in union with Christ through faith, we too have been raised with Christ and seated with Him in the heavenly places. Jesus' ascension is the assurance and the guarantee that where he is, we who believe in him will be also. So, what does Jesus' ascension into heaven mean for you? Why is it important? The ascension of Jesus assures you that the one who died for you in weakness and shame is now the one who reigns over all things for you in power and glory. Did He love you when He gave Himself up for you on the cross? He still loves you. Raised in glory, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and He works all things together for good to those who love Him. The one who died for you 
as the substitutionary sacrifice for your sins is now the one who lives forever and intercedes for you as your great high priest in the Holy of Holies in heaven. Securing your salvation as your mediator. And thirdly, the one who died for you under the condemnation of your sins, suffering the justice of the righteous judgment of God against your sins which you deserved, is now the one who stands for you as your advocate in God's court to defend you and to dismiss all the charges of sin which Satan perpetually levies against you. You just sang that. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. You get that? What he did on the cross continues today. The effectiveness of that. Because he's there interceding, pleading for you. Okay. Now in the passage from Ephesians 1, beginning at verse 15, we have the Apostle Paul's prayer for the Christians in Ephesus. Now this prayer was breathed out by the Holy Spirit. So it's an expression. We know that it is a prayer which is in accordance with the will of God for us. It's a prayer for us. It's a prayer for us to pray for ourselves and to pray for one another and to pray for the church of Jesus Christ throughout the earth. And the prayer is that we might know what is the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe. According to the working of His great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So, the ascension of Jesus Christ. What does it mean? It means that he has been Seated on the throne, King Jesus, the one who is above all rule, authority, power, and dominion in heaven and on earth. The one who rules over all spiritual realities, earthly realities as well. The powers and principalities of demonic forces and the powers and principalities of those who rule on earth. The book of the Revelation says that Jesus is the king of the princes of the earth, whether they know it or not. Whether they acknowledge him or not. He is their king. They are accountable to him. And this passage says, which expresses this prayer, that we would come to know that the power that was at work in Christ is the same power that's at work in us for our salvation. He speaks of the immeasurably great power at work toward us. Now, how so? How is the power of the resurrection and the power of the ascension applied 
to us. Well, here again, we see with the ascension of Jesus Christ, the absolute necessity of our salvation being in Jesus Christ, in him alone, and in none other. Because if I am not united to Jesus Christ through faith, if I am not in him, if I do not belong to, if I'm not connected to the one who died and rose again and ascended into heaven, then by what means and by what power and by what authority shall I myself be delivered from the curse of sin and death? This is the point. Who is it that is really the victor over death? Who is it that is the one who has been gloriously received into heaven? Jesus Christ and Him alone. Therefore, if I'm not connected to Him, by what power? Do I have the power in myself to make my way to heaven? Can I raise myself up from death? Can I ascend into the heavenly places on my own, on my own merits, because I'm such a nice and wonderful person? I don't think so. But if I am and if you are united to Jesus Christ through faith, meaning if his spirit dwells in me, if his spirit dwells in you, if we are members of his body, if we are bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, if our humanity is connected to him and redeemed by him, then what on earth or what in heaven could keep us from receiving the fullness of salvation? The ascension of Jesus Christ assures us of the security of our salvation. And in fact, to make this very point, the Apostle Paul goes further in chapter 2 with a statement that may surprise us. Speaking of our salvation in Christ, Ephesians chapter 2 Verses 5 and 6 says this. God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Now this is a powerful statement. We need to take hold of it. This is divine revelation. You couldn't make this stuff up. It is what God has revealed. Even from our earthly perspective, our salvation, the fullness of our salvation, is something which is still future in terms of our complete enjoyment of it. Because we know we've not yet been delivered from our struggle with sin. We've not yet been delivered from suffering and sadness in this world. We've not yet been received into glory. We don't have in our own experience having entered into the heavenly life. But nevertheless, from the divine perspective, the scripture speaks of our salvation as something which has already been fully perfected, a present reality, an accomplished fact. It is spoken of in this passage from Ephesians 2 in the past tense as something that's already happened and which continues to have continuing results and benefits and ongoing reality. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places. It's a spiritual reality which we cannot fully comprehend 
It's a spiritual reality which we do not yet fully experience. Not perfectly in this life, but this is the point. This is what God wants us to know. This is what God is telling us. He's telling us who we are. He's telling us what our position is. We are in union with Christ. We are seated with Him in the heavenly places. We are already victors over death. There is no power in heaven or on earth that can separate us from the love of God and the security of our salvation no matter what earthly circumstances we might be experiencing at the moment. So when the scripture says that God's mighty power, the power with which he raised Christ from the dead and seated it at his right hand, the, that same immeasurably great power is at work in us. Let's think about it. Let's think about that. In order to deliver us from the curse of death, in order to, well, let's just stop right there. In order to deliver us from the curse of death, what kind of power would have to be at work in us? Resurrection power. In order to give us new life by His Spirit, how much power would that require? The power of the resurrection, the power of the ascension. In order to continue His work in us, in order to preserve us in salvation, in order to sustain us every day, in order to empower us to live by faith every day, what kind of power does that require? Resurrection power. Ascension power. It's not natural power. It is power that raises the dead and gives new life and upholds that life for all eternity. How much power would it take to guarantee that we, our bodies will be raised up from the dust on the last day and glorified for life in His everlasting kingdom? How much power would that require? It would require the resurrection power, the ascension power. What God has done in the life of Jesus Christ, He promises to do in us and for us. And for those who believe, who, those who come to, faith, come to Jesus Christ in faith, that is an accomplished reality which nothing can undo. That's the security of our salvation. They're the resurrection and the ascension. So, for example, when we feel weak, as we often do, when life is difficult, and life is difficult, and when life is disappointing, and life is disappointing, and when life is painful, and life is painful, and when life is frustrating, and life is frustrating, and when life is frightening, and life is frightening, then the question becomes... How do we orient ourselves to that? When we feel like our world is coming to an end, is that the reality? No, that's not the reality. That's an illusion. What's the reality? If you are in Christ through faith, God has raised you up with Christ and seated you with Him in the heavenly places. So this is a good... It's a, good time, it's a good thing to think about when you, think, when, you, when, you, when you ask yourself, well, how am I feeling today? Well, I'm feeling a little down. Well, you know, there are days when we, we feel down and, and sadness is a natural feeling and, 
We all go through that. There are things to be sad about. But is, is that sadness, is the downness, is that the ultimate reality? Is that the forever reality? That's what despair is. Despair is when sadness becomes the forever reality. And you're down. Right? Well, the next time you're down, remember that Jesus Christ is up. He's up. And really, ultimately, you're up too if you are in union with Him through faith. That's, that's your, you may not feel that in that moment. Of course you might not feel that in that moment. But the ultimate eternal reality to lay hold of and hang on to is that Jesus Christ is up and you are up with Him. And nothing can cast you down from that position. So, do we believe that in the end we will share in His victory and glory? Because He lived and died and rose and ascended into heaven for us. Because He rules over all powers, all evil spiritual powers, all evil political powers, ultimately over the power of death. This is the great affirmation of the New Testament. He has won the victory overall, and He shares the victory with those who believe. Now that final victory has not yet been revealed. We know that. But it is assured and it is guaranteed. And the kingdom of Christ, the eternal, everlasting dominion of Jesus Christ, at this present time, in this world in which we live, it's mostly invisible to the world. It's mostly invisible. And the powers that be of this world think they can do whatever they want to. And that's how they live and that's how they rule. But the kingdom of Jesus Christ is in effect. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He is ruling over His enemies. He is making His enemies a footstool for His feet. And that is what is going ultimately to be revealed. It's one of the most important articles of our faith. The King of the universe is the one who was crucified for sinners. And now he reigns with ultimate authority and power over all things. Now, the worldly powers, the demonic powers, rebel against the kingship of Christ. They daily engage in war against the king. The world is in rebellion against the kingship of Jesus Christ. We see it every day. But Psalm 2 says, He who sits in the heavens laughs. 1 Corinthians 15, 25 says that Jesus Christ will reign on His throne until He puts all His enemies under His feet and the last enemy to be defeated is death. He is working His purposes out through history. He is bringing His kingdom in all its fullness and glory and nothing, no power on earth, no power in hell can stop Him. And therefore, the practical application for us is to remember that our highest allegiance and our first obedience belongs to Jesus Christ. We have no king but King Jesus. To Him, to Him alone, 
we bow the knee. We confess him and him alone to be Lord, not only of heaven, but of our lives on the earth. What does this ascension of Jesus mean to you and for you? It means that Jesus Christ, who died for you, now reigns in heaven for you. To be seated with Christ in the heavenly places is to be secure in your status as a child of God, a little sister or a little brother of Jesus, with all the family privileges and the blessings of a child of God forever and ever and ever. That is your position in the universe and in the kingdom to come in Jesus Christ. To be seated with Christ in the heavenly places means that even now in our lives on earth, in our struggle against sin, in our battle against Satan, in our sufferings in this fallen world, whatever persecution we may and will endure for Christ's sake, we have the assurance that He has won the battle for us. He has secured our place with Him. And we, like Him, by His mighty power, the immeasurably great power at work toward us, that same power by which He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the heavenly places, by that same power, we too will be raised and glorified to live forever in His kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. Therefore, give your highest allegiance, your first obedience to Jesus Christ, the only King. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the assurance that because he is at your right hand, interceding for us, there is nothing in all of creation which can separate us from your love. We pray, O oh Lord, that you will plant your word of truth in our hearts, that you will water it by the grace of the Holy Spirit, that it will spring forth and bear much fruit for the glory of your name. Through Christ our Savior. Amen.